Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. Welcome to Channel 127. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. I come to you live from New York City, produced by the great Thea Harper over there in Brooklyn. The great Chris Hauselt is in South Carolina. We are so glad to have you with us for the next three hours. We have a really good show tonight, and I'm really glad you will be a part of it. Uh, Professor Corey Brettschneider will be joining us tonight. Comedian Rhonda Hansom. Lots going on tonight. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has dropped his Democratic primary bid and will instead do everything he can to make Donald Trump the president again. Former Texas Congressman Will Hurd has dropped his Republican presidential bid, crushing both of his followers. He says he's now going to endorse Nikki Haley. For the nomination, California Governor Gavin Newsom has vetoed three really popular bills passed by his state legislature, a bill making condoms available in high schools. I guess I can see why he, if he has political ambitions, want to want to veto that a bill banning caste discrimination in South Asian communities. I, 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 I guess I can. There's probably a reason and a bill capping the price of insulin in California. I don't understand why that was vetoed. But we have a lot to get to. It's been a horrible weekend. It's going to be a horrible weeks to come. We promise that throughout this awful war that is going to stretch on for God knows how long, we will try to bring you a fair approach every night. Let's get to it. Let's do a show. This is John Lennon's 83rd birthday. I had hoped to talk about that. I had hoped we'd be talking about Columbus and Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, Columbus Day, of course, is when the people who claim immigrants are thieves, rapists, and murderers celebrate an immigrant who thieved, raped, and murdered. Never forget Columbus is the man who said, let us in the name of the Holy Trinity go on sending all the slaves that can be sold. Indigenous Peoples Day is a very important holiday, and it's incredible to see on social media how much more popular it has become over the years. But instead, we're going to talk about the indigenous peoples of the Holy Land tonight, the Palestinians and the Israelis. Now, as you know, Hamas stunned the world over the weekend when it launched a surprise air, land, and sea attack against cities across Israel. This was the most serious incursion against Israel in many years. This comes after a year of escalating violence in Jerusalem and the still-occupied West Bank. Please remember, before we get into this, it's a very inflammatory topic. It's really easy to stand with Israel and also be against the indiscriminate killing of Palestinians who want nothing to do with Hamas's agenda, and it's really easy to stand with the Palestinian people and be against the revolting, despicable terrorism of Hamas. Okay? Let's assume morally we can all walk and chew gum at the same time here. Not going to fall into the both sides traps. Hamas fired thousands of rockets at Israeli cities around dawn, their time on Saturday. The first move was about 3,000 rockets from Gaza. That coincided with incursions by militants who flew hang gliders over the border. And then the militants broke through the border barrier between Gaza and Israel. They came in with pickup trucks and occupied Israeli villages and towns close to the border. And they killed soldiers. They killed civilians. They took many people hostage. The fighters on the hang gliders were securing the terrain so a commando unit could storm the fortified electronic and cement wall 
that separates Gaza from the Israel settlements. And they use explosives to get through the barriers. And then they sped across on motorbikes. And then bulldozers came through and widened the gaps. And more fighters entered on four-wheel drives. This was heavily coordinated. And they say no one saw it coming. They attacked the Israeli army's southern Gaza headquarters. They jammed their communications. They stopped personnel from being able to call their commanders. And then they took hostages. Among the attacks was a music festival, the Tribe of Nova Trans Festival, where hundreds were killed. It took the lives of over 200 young people at a music festival. Gaza has been under a 16-year Israeli blockade that restricts imports and it keeps most Palestinians from leaving. And this attack will not help the Palestinian people. It will not help the Israeli people. It will help a lot of bad people in the Middle East, over here, and elsewhere. The Israeli army retaliated with a heavy bombardment against the Gaza Strip. They have declared war following this attack and a full blockade on Gaza. That means food, water, electricity, and fuel. Here it is as it happened. Prime Minister Netanyahu speaks of a state of war following an early morning October 7th incursion into Israel by Hamas militants from Gaza. Israel is at war. We didn't want this war. It was forced upon us in the most brutal and savage way. But though Israel didn't start this war, Israel will finish it. Once the Jewish people were stateless, once the Jewish people were defenseless, no longer. Hamas will understand that by attacking us, they've made a mistake of historic proportions. We will exact a price that will be remembered by them and Israel's other enemies for decades to come. The savage attacks that Hamas perpetrated against innocent Israelis are mind-boggling. Slaughtering families in their homes, massacring hundreds of young people at an outdoor festival, kidnapping scores of women, children, and elderly, even Holocaust survivals. Hamas terrorists bound, burned, and executed children. They are savages. Hamas is ISIS. The death toll so far is over 1,200. Thousands of people have been wounded on both sides. At least nine Americans have reportedly been killed in these attacks. Now, Netanyahu also told Joe Biden that there's a front on the Lebanese border that's a concern. Hezbollah fired rockets towards an Israeli military outpost on the northern border yesterday, and the IDF killed several gunmen who tried to infiltrate Israel through its northern border with Lebanon. More than 100 hostages and mass destruction that we can expect in the coming weeks. Hamas is threatening to kill hostages in response to Israel's bombing of Gaza targets. The death toll will rise. And Israel has ordered a complete siege of Gaza. Here's a clip from CNN, a medical volunteer, Dr. Shlomo Gensler, describing the horrific massacre he and his team found in kibbutzes near the border with Gaza. The brutality that I saw here and the lack of compassion for other human beings was unparalleled. I, there were little children executed. There were people that were just like burnt alive, hit by RPGs. People kept hostage. RPGs, rocket propelled grenades, rocket. not guns. They fired big rockets. They were firing. Ro- they were firing. They were firing handheld rockets. They were coming in on motorbikes, and it was consistent attacking. And I'll tell you one story that really hit home with me, where I started to cry yesterday. I was treating people that in critical condition is intubating them doing chest decompressions the whole time. When I met two kids that just had, were held hostage, somehow were in a closet for, for 12 hours, finally escaped, the army came in and got them out. And after that, they said to me, "My parent, I saw my parents get killed in front of me. I'm hungry, I haven't eaten in the last 12 hours. And that thing, to see that brutality and understand that these are little children that are suffering like this, I, I can't, I can't, like the, the amount of crying and emotional, this is gonna take a lot of time to process through. But I, I, to see that humans can act like that to another, another type of people is unreal. The Biden administration was also surprised by this invasion. Two U.S. officials said no intelligence even remotely suggested this could happen. The U.S. is taking steps to support Israel, and the U.S. is sending aircraft carrier groups to the Mediterranean in response to this attack. Here's Joe Biden delivering remarks on the attack, offering prayers for the dead and wounded, and unlimited support to Israel. It's also a terrible tragedy on a human level. It's hurting innocent people, seeing the lives that have been broken by this, the families torn apart. It's heartbreaking. 
And Jill and I are praying for those families who've been impacted by this violence. We grieve with those who've lost their loved ones, lost a piece of their soul. We have hope for a swift recovery for many who have been wounded. But we're going to remain in close touch with Prime Minister. I personally am going to remain in close contact with Prime Minister Netanyahu as this situation continues to develop. And let there be no mistake, the United States stands with the state of Israel. Just as we have from the moment the United States became the first nation to recognize Israel 11 minutes after its founding 75 years ago. Thank you very much. The violence is going to get worse, and it's going to make it a lot harder for Saudi Arabia and Israel to actually make this peace agreement stick. I mean, the Biden administration is going to be announcing more military aid for this war. Um, But of course, there's some chaos in our Congress that could stop that from happening in a prompt way. And this White House has been trying to strike an historic peace deal between Saudi Arabia and Israel. And it looks like at this point, that deal may be off. Now, the world must brace for a much more bloody fall and a bloody winter and for fighting in the Middle East to potentially expand. Now, after the war in Gaza two years ago, America provided a billion dollars to restock their supplies. But right now, America's not at full capacity. The House is completely stalled because we don't have a Speaker of the House and the Republicans can't decide who they want. The Senate is out for the whole week. We have no confirmed U.S. ambassador to Israel because that's how Republicans taunt Joe Biden. The Ukraine aid package is going nowhere. Tommy Tuberville is still barricading over 300 military nominations. The House business has been at a standstill since Kevin McCarthy was ousted a week ago tonight. And no one knows if the House can even do anything or if Patrick McHenry, who's now the Speaker pro tempore, has the power to pass additional military assistance. We have no ambassador to Israel. We have no chief of naval operations right now. And Tommy Tuberville is helping this by continuing to block U.S. military nominees. Again, America is so broken by extremists, we can't even effectively give aid to an ally we're saying we're going to give because our extremists are so dysfunctional, they're setting the Congress on fire. Juliet Kayyem has a piece in The Atlantic. How did Israel's extensive counterterrorism efforts fail to pick up an attack waged by land, sea, and air? How did its defenses fail so extensively? This wasn't just an intelligence failure. This was an everything failure. And everyone's wondering, how How can this country, known for its elite intel capabilities, be completely caught off guard by this? Well, there were some signs. There were some warnings. I mean, think about it. We hear how, how tough Netanyahu is. How this is the administration they're not going to mess around with. But how could their intel services fail to stop the surprise assault, which saw dozens of fighters enter the country, thousands of rocket attacks? Here's the deal. (laughs) A spokesperson Hamas told Al Jazeera that they were not attacking civilians, even though the group's own videos are showing that they are attacking civilians and taking elderly Israeli people hostage. So they're lying murderous douchebags. Okay, even Amnesty International has called them out for slaughtering civilians. And it's not going to help the people of Gaza. Gaza has 2.2 million people. Half of them are children. It is one of, not the most, but one of the most densely populated places on the earth. Palestinians live under military occupation. Many of them have had their homes stolen for settlements that are illegal under international law. 2.2 million people, 50% in poverty, half of them kids. 90% have no access to clean drinking water. You can care about the people of Palestine and be disgusted by this. And let's talk about the 9-11 parallels, because many are calling it Israel's 9-11. The death toll, relative to population size, is proportionately much greater than America's loss of life on 9-11. But they were warned. Egyptian intelligence ministers called Netanyahu 10 days before this attack and warned them of something unusual, a terrible operation that was about to take place from Gaza. And the Egyptians said they were surprised by the indifference shown by Netanyahu. We've heard now that for months, experts in the Israeli media were warning that this government was ignoring a growing security threat as a result of the pushback to Netanyahu's judicial coup. They said Israel was losing their military superiority as more people were refusing serving in the reserves. They were warned. And that is the greatest parallel to 9-11. Bush was warned on a presidential daily briefing August 6, 2001, bin Laden determined to attack the U.S., Bush did nothing about it. We were attacked. Thousands of Americans lost their lives. And the government that let it happen never faced any scrutiny. Just like this. 
Netanyahu will face no scrutiny for this. No one will accuse him of an intelligence failure. He will rally people to fall in line, and he will make his own extensive legal troubles go away. This helps Netanyahu. Remember, Condoleezza Rice, as national security advisor, oversaw the greatest security failure in the history of this country, and she got a promotion. The one person who should have been fired got bumped up to Secretary of State. Wasn't Netanyahu supposed to be the strong man that was going to keep Israel safe? I think he's been so busy taking apart their democracy that, and their checks and balances, he kind of missed this. But here's the more horrible comparison to 9-11. A response to a murderous terrorist attack that will cause more suffering and could turn the world's goodwill against you. A response like America's after 9-11 that gives the terrorists exactly what they want. Because who is war good for? War is always good for the right-wing authoritarians. This helps Netanyahu. He's going through a deep political crisis in Israel over his judicial overhaul. It's weakened the country's military and their economy. And Hamas, they knew what would happen. They knew that Netanyahu would react with an iron fist. They knew, just like bin Laden, that the country they attacked would slaughter civilians in vengeance. This was their intention. Israel lost a lot of support around the world when they overreacted in the past. The mass slaughter of Palestinian civilians in the Sabra and Shatila refugee camps in 1982. But again, it's important to understand what the long strategies are here of these players. And Netanyahu told his Likud party's Knesset members in March of 2019, anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state has to support bolstering Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. This is part of our strategy. This is going to help Hamas it's going to help Netanyahu, and it's going to hurt the people of Israel and the people of Palestine. It's going to help extremists all over the place. Israel has cut electricity, water, and food supplies to Gaza. There was an Israeli airstrike in southern Gaza killed 19 members of the same family after they stayed home thinking they'd be safe following a warning strike about 100 meters away. And again, 2 million people, half of them children, are trapped in a blockaded area, cut off from the outside world, and they're going to be starved while they're bombed from all directions. This will backfire on Israel, just like our invasion of Iraq backfired on America. Now, a big winner here is Putin, because Vladimir Putin has close ties to Hamas, close ties to Iran's ayatollahs who support Hamas and Hezbollah, both of whom have attacked Israel. And Putin wants to distract the whole world from what? Ukraine. So he can commit even more atrocities while we're talking about the atrocities in the Middle East. This helps the Iranian ayatollahs, right? They're terrified. They're going to be overthrown at some point. They have oppressed the Iranian people. The majority of citizens in Iran are under the age of 50. It's not going to last forever having these extreme conservative religious run the country. And now <laughs> they're going to have a big distraction from that. And of course, it helps Donald Trump. Here he is seeing the burgeoning war in Israel as a chance to make some jokes about his campaign. Joe Biden betrayed Israel. He betrayed our country. As president, I will once again stand with Israel. And we will cut off the money to Palestinian terrorists on day one. We'll cut it off on day one. And Biden and Obama were terrible to Israel because they beat him. Bibi Netanyahu came here, begged Obama, begged him, please, sir. I mean, he literally, what, the way he was talking was the craziest thing. He was begging him, don't do the Iran nuclear deal. I ended it. And if they, we had our administration, we would have had a deal with Iran already. It would have been a good deal. They wouldn't have had a nuclear weapon. Now they're three months away from having a nuclear weapon. And once they have a nuclear weapon, the conversations become much more difficult. Oh, my God, you godless dickhole. First off, first off, um, Benjamin Netanyahu gave Barack Obama Israel's presidential medal of distinction in 2013. Secondly, we had a peace agreement with Iran. Guess who tore it up? It took many countries, many years to hammer the deal out. Our military begged Donald Trump not to tear this deal up because our military said Iran was complying. But Putin wanted it torn up. And Putin gets what he wants. And at some point, we're going to talk about how Trump showed classified intel about the Islamic State extremist organization to the Russian foreign minister in the Oval Office. And then there's the disinformation. From Matt Gates to Elon Musk, American douchebags and chaos agents are pushing their lies. Doughy amoral mediocrity J.D. Vance said, 
As we watch this horrible situation in Israel unfold, Americans must face a stark truth. Our tax dollars funded this. Money is fungible, and many of the dollars we sent to Iran are now being used to kill innocent people. Let's unpack these lies. America released some of Iran's own money to a third party, the nation of Qatar, to be administered by Qatar for only humanitarian efforts. Our Treasury Department determines when money is released and where it goes. Not one American taxpayer dollar was sent to Iran. I'm going to say that again because there's some godless motherfucking liars in our country that are going to do everything they can do to sway your uncle racist and your aunt dead inside when they watch Fox News with lies. Not one American taxpayer dollar went to Iran. They need you to believe Iran was getting some of our money, but it was all for humanitarian aid. <laughs> and they're blaming Biden's prisoner negotiation with Iran. The $6 billion the Republican says was used to help the terrorists is still sitting in a bank in Qatar. So again, instead of blaming Biden, how about the patriots blame the actual terrorists? They can't. Just like Benghazi. They had to blame Susan Rice, then Barack Obama, then Hillary Clinton. None of it worked. And finally, the day Donald Trump was sworn in, they never mentioned Benghazi again. But we know Republicans will blame Americans for what terrorists do. How many Americans blame George W. Bush? For 9-11. People who exploit this horror terrorist attack to perpetuate a lie, they're not patriots. And again, Donald Trump bragged he gave Israeli secrets to Russia. And Russia's allied with uh, Iran and Hamas. But we don't know that this has anything to do with the other. We Liberals can't go pushing disinformation either because it's not proven. We don't know if Trump giving Israeli secrets away to Russia six years ago led to this. It's tempting to accuse it. It, it follows. It's logical. But we don't know. What we do know is Israelis are going to suffer and die and Gazans are going to suffer and die. And it's going to destabilize any effort for any kind of peace between Israel and other Arab countries. And Dino Badala pointed out, uh, Haaretz, the, the newspaper of Israel, they said Netanyahu bears responsibility for the war because he completely failed to identify the dangers he was consciously leading Israel into when establishing a government of annexation and dispossession. And look, you can say it again. The occupation is horrible. It's unjust. And you can say Hamas is monstrous and they've been a terrible peace partner and they're harming the Palestinian cause. And you can say that Netanyahu is a thug and a criminal. And you can say that kidnap and rape and murder of civilians, no matter who's doing it, is terrorism. But it's always good to remind everybody that putting extreme religious conservatives in power always leads to the opposites of what their religions teach. And if God or Allah or Jehovah wanted anyone dead, he'd smite them himself. Extreme conservative Muslims and Christians and Jews tend to be the violent ones. The moderate and liberal Christians, Muslims and Jews, they tend to get along just fine around the world. They never make the headlines. It is the extreme right-wing fundamentalists of all religions who oppress women, who persecute LGBT people, who believe violence is okay when they do it. Most Christians, Muslims and Jews are getting along. And then they'll say, well, Christians don't kill. But yeah, except for the Crusades and the Holocaust and American slavery and the ethnic cleansing of indigenous peoples. And of course, George W. Bush said God told him to invade Iraq. George W. Bush said God told him to slaughter hundreds of thousands in case you want to compare body counts. So, friends, we welcome your calls. We welcome your tweets and your thoughts and your emails. Let's start the dialogue. Let's try to make sense of this and let's try to counter all the lies we'll be hearing from many different sides. But remember, criticizing Hamas doesn't mean you hate Palestinians. Criticizing the Israeli government doesn't mean you hate Jews. And criticizing the Trump administration doesn't mean you hate NASCAR fans. We're at 866-997-GRIT. And we'll be right back with your calls. And Professor Corey Brettschneider, this is Progress. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. 
Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. I am so thrilled to welcome our next guest back to this show in his new time slot. Every Monday night, we are now fortunate and blessed to be classed up by Professor Corey Brettschneider, the man with a PhD in politics from Princeton, a law degree from Stanford, and superpowers he uses to enrich the lives of students in the poli-sci department at Brown. You have read his wonderful analysis of politics in the New York Times, Time Magazine, Politico. You should own his book. I will always say this, The Oath and the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. Also, check out his Penguin Liberty series books on free speech, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and impeachment. We are so happy to welcome back Professor Corey Brettschneider. Hello. Thanks, John, and uh, glad to be back with you and uh, looking forward to the conversation as always. Well, thank you, Professor. Uh, We've missed you very much. It's great to have you back and a happy fall to you. I'm sorry that our reunion with you is not under uh, better circumstances. We have still Mm -hmm. been trying to make sense of this horrible destruction that we've witnessed over the weekend and trying to grapple with all the horrible destruction that we will be facing in the weeks and months to come. Um, You actually had a point of view on this that I hadn't thought about but to look into the judicial crisis and how that might have played into this decision to attack. Yes, you know, and of course, I mean, as you've been saying, this is such a difficult moment to be talking about politics because the loss of human life and the horror of what happened is, you know, so fresh. So, I mean, just I think it's important that I start with that. I agree, but I I do think, Professor, trying to understand the strategies and motivations and timing of these things is, is essential as well. So I'm um, please. Yes, definitely. And I'd say, too, that, you know, Netanyahu has a big role in this. As I think you were saying before the break, that the, um, you know, fact is that he has put himself out there as Mr. Security and argued essentially that we need to trade our liberties. Democracy, I think, is the bottom line of how he's seen it in Israel uh, the human rights of Israeli citizens and Palestinians for security. Okay, fine. Did he provide anything like that? And I think it's just so obvious to people in Israel and abroad uh, that he really failed to do so. And it reveals to be a bigger sham, the idea that somehow any of this attempt to really usurp the power of the judiciary that we've been talking about, uh, to really claim power for himself as prime minister to erase the um, the basic law, the equivalence of the Bill of Rights that they have in Israel uh, for his own desires, using his power in the Knesset to run roughshod over the judiciary, that it's really a lie that that's somehow in the service of security. It's been in the service of his own ambition and his own uh, desire to dominate Israeli politics for years to come. And I do think, you know, the protests were heating up. People were in the streets defending the judiciary, defending the rights guaranteed to Israeli citizens under the basic law. Uh, But it's just got to ramp up the pressure on him eventually as people put together the idea that his attack on democracy didn't come with any game for security. To the contrary, it was a a loss for for both. And I think, too, you know, there's a deeper point for us in the United States, which is that when people claim that they're going to take away our liberty, take away democracy in the service of of what they promise to be security, that that's often a lie. The idea that there's a sort of competence without basic checks on power, um, you know, that's just not how things work. I think it's often in the service of ambition and self-serving, you know, in this case, among other things, an attempt to get out of potential criminal investigation and charges. Yeah. And it's not about the country at all. 
anymore than it's about, you know, that this is really about seeking security. It, it's yeah. something else. So, so the, you know, that's the harsh reality that we have to confront along. The worst thing that we could do right now is not be vigilant against this disaster of a prime minister. Exactly. I mean, thank you for saying it, because, you know, this man, this, 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 he's a right wing criminal and he's trying to change the Israeli laws to dismantle the courts to avoid his own criminal indictment. He is doing over there a version of what Trump has done over here, not even talking about the occupation, just his personal corruption. And, And now Hamas has given him an incredible gift. The country will rally behind him. Efforts to remove him will not be popular. And Hamas is playing a bin Laden game, hoping that the response will be so overwhelmingly brutal, it'll rally Arabs to their cause. I have thought for many years, Professor, that both Hamas and the Netanyahu government have this toxic codependency, these these two corrupt mm-hmm. wartime consulieries that yeah. need each other because they'd be out of a job if there was real peace. There'd be no use for either of them if there was real peace. Yes, I think that's right. I think, too, that Hamas saw uh, Netanyahu for what he is, which is a weak leader. And that's part of why they went in now, that they saw the division that he was, you know, promoting they saw the ways in which he was vulnerable and corrupt himself and that that they diagnosed rightfully as a failure of security a failure of leadership and they went in there and i think the parallels with trump are uncanny and that you have somebody who is just won't stop talking about bluster uh, he announced today that he's for an even bigger travel ban muslim ban he clarified <laughs> despite what he says in court that, right. that he wants an even bigger Muslim ban. What would make us, you know, more unsafe than to have all this bluster without any serious policy behind it? And that's what you have, unfortunately, in this Netanyahu government. My hope is, I think the initial, certainly he'll try to use this to rally the country behind him. And the initial response in these two days has included offers of a unity government, for instance. Uh, so it suggests that, that it's working for him. But I think over time, as the intelligence failure becomes so clear and his lack of basic leadership becomes so clear that the, uh, my hope is that the Israeli populace will say to itself, where was this guy? His one job as prime minister that he promised us was to provide mm-hmm. security. And they didn't even know that there was this massive campaign being launched, you know, right over the border by Hamas. So true. And so, you know, he, he's a failure. And, and I just have to believe that that'll be recognized soon. Although, you know, I'm realistic enough to know, too, that he, like Trump, is savvy enough to, to rally people behind his cause and and to, to lie about his political abilities that, to claim that he really does have the ability to provide security when obviously he does not. It's what's so infuriating is that there are so many bad actors who are going to benefit from all this destruction. And it's not going to help the Israeli people. It's not going to help the Palestinian people. It's certainly not going to help Joe Biden. But this helps Netanyahu. This helps the leadership of Hamas. This helps extremists on on both sides of the ocean. It helps Vladimir Putin. It helps the Iranian Ayatollahs. It helps right-wing liars here and the people who spread disinformation all day long. We've All weekend long, we've seen right-wing disinformation chaos agents, including senators, say that, oh, this is the money Joe Biden gave your taxpayer money to Iran. It, yeah. it, 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 it's all lies. And it's going to go on for quite a while, isn't it, Professor? I mean, it seems like this is going to be a long, drawn-out, bloody conflict. Yeah, I mean, I think we can't avoid seeing the parallels between Israeli politics and our own. And we certainly have talked about that with the attack on the judiciary, the attack on human rights. Uh, but the other attack is that you have a prime minister who will say anything to stay in power, and who really can't be trusted and who is likely, you know, committed serious corruption and crimes and is going through even more maneuvers to try to get himself out. Uh, That looks a lot like Trump and a lot like the people in that party who are really willing to say anything. And for what to what end? I guess that's the question. And the end of much of the Republican Party these days, the Trump wing certainly is power, not not any security, not anything to do with um, fighting poverty or, mm-hmm. or or really anything except for their own ambition. And when I look at Bibi Netanyahu, what is his purpose in in being in politics? I, I It's obvious to me that it isn't security, that he hasn't been able to, to focus and has not focused on anything 
like the real security that Israel would need. So, you know, it's not human rights. It's not poverty. What is it? It's his own selfish ambition. And I think that's what a lot of our politics looks like, too. And, and, uh, you know, it's a frightful thing to see. Yeah, I've, I've been saying all all month that if the Republican Party had policies they wanted to enact that would really help non-millionaires, yeah. they'd be talking about it nonstop. They don't right. talk about it because they have none. We're going to hear a lot about Hunter Biden and trans children playing sports. Professor, right. you know, I was excited to have you back in the new time slot because it's now the second Monday in October and the Supreme Court's in session. Obviously, that's strongly overshadowed, but there are a number of cases coming up that I'm going to be grateful for your expertise as the season goes by. One of them is the Colorado High Court is going to be hearing a case against that Christian baker who refused to make a trans themed cake for a lawyer who was having a gender transition party. This is the Colorado Supreme Court, but uh, this is uh, probably something that we'll be seeing before the U.S. Supreme Court. I think it's certainly possible because it tees up a number of issues again, and we'll see you know how this litigation goes. That really weren't resolved the last time. This you know, of course, in the last instance, uh, this baker refused to um, pr- provide to bake a a, a, wedi- a wedding cake, a gay wedding mm-hmm. in an in, in instance of a gay wedding, and. Um, he lost that case, but on pretty narrow grounds. The court, um, sorry, won that case, but on pretty uh, narrow grounds. The court said that he had been shown basically bias against him by this Colorado Civil Rights Commission. But they didn't rule on the bigger issues about whether or not religious freedom or free speech guaranteed his right to essentially practice bigotry. And yeah. Now that issue is teed up again, so maybe it will come before the Supreme Court. I do believe in the long term, whether it's this case or another one, and it could well be another one, uh, that they have a, an agenda, which is to really decimate civil rights laws that protect gay people in favor of um, so-called religious freedom. I don't think it's real religious freedom. It's, it's exactly. the name of religious freedom, which is really an attempt to protect bigotry in cases like this. Uh, present them an opportunity. Whether they want the same litigant or not, I'm not sure. Uh, But there's a wing of this court that really wants to use religious freedom to prop up uh, the beliefs of uh, Christians often, I mean, in almost all cases, actually, above gay people, and to, to give Christian belief the status in law that would allow it to undo civil rights legislation. That's not something that we've seen traditionally in areas of civil rights in regard to race, there's no right of a uh, restaurant to refuse service to uh, black people. That's the right. Ollie's Barbecue case in the 1960s. But they are trying to really create uh, an equivalent of segregation in areas of religious freedom to create a carve-out for religious businesses to uh, be exempt from laws that protect our basic rights. And and so this case, I'm, I'm going to watch it closely, whether this goes to the Supreme Court or something like it. It certainly tees up the issue again that we're far from, from done with. I mean, earlier in the year, the Colorado Court of Appeals sided with the transgender lawyer who's bringing this case. And they ruled that the cake was not a form of free speech. And by the way, listeners, there was no writing on the cake at all. There was no request for any writing. The cake did not say happy transition. It was just a plain cake. And the Court of Appeals found that the state's anti-discrimination law did not violate business owners' right to practice or express their religion. And you know, Corey, this is my big hang-up, is where in the religion of Christianity does Christ chase all the gay wedding cakes out of the temple? Like, show <laughs> It's the question that's never asked, but show me where Christ says you have to deny goods and services to tax-paying citizens because they are trans. I mean, I, I kind of thought we'd already settled this in the 1960s. If these tax-paying citizens have paid the tax is that create the roads and the electrical grid on which your business depends, where do you get off denying them goods and services? Yeah, and one theme I, I hope that will develop as we watch this case, John, I'm sure we'll continue to talk about it, is that, you know, the people backing this baker really want to emphasize the idea that somehow this is religion against government, religion against the state, uh, or even religion against civil rights. And I think another way to see it is uh, and you always bring this out in our discussion so well, that it's really, you know, one corrupted form of religion against a more uh, true form of, of Christianity in, in this case. And, you know, I, I just think that we can't allow 
uh, bigots to sort of use the mantle of Christianity to try to try to hide their uh, their bigotry, and uh, yeah. that's not what Christ, the Christian religion demands, or the Jewish religion, or the Muslim religion. I think that these are religions that are about ideals and about dignity, and uh, let's start saying that more. Corey, I want to ask about this radio show you just did for a live audience with Rhode Island NPR about whether we're facing a, a threat to democracy. I understand that you were appearing with the Senate Minority Leader of the Rhode Island Senate, Jessica De La Cruz, who is a Republican. Um, what was that experience like? <laughs> Uh, I was happy to do it, and, you know, I was uh, kind of convinced that Rhode Island NPR isn't going to bring a straight Trumper to debate me. I think that would have really been less than productive. I'd be and surprised if they had many, uh, yeah. Senator, yes, they are, we certainly have our share, and uh, but, but uh, Senator De La Cruz, I would say, is a moderate Republican, trying to certainly not endorse Trump but not condemn him either. And so what was interesting about this— conversation and you know the, the listeners want to hear it, it'll be posted soon to their website too uh is that she tried to really say you know we can focus on the economy to pivot off the issue of trump and that republicans have to focus elsewhere and essentially brush him under the rug and my point in again and again was this is not a normal election she was saying too you know all the time people like myself say that democracy is at stake. Well, it's not at stake here. It hasn't been at stake in the past. And so to try to get through the idea that this is not the Republican Party, of certainly not the 19th century, the party devoted to Reconstruction. It's not the party uh, of Eisenhower, and it's not the party of Reagan. It's a, no. a, a party that's gone nuts. And it's so not the that, party of Quail. I mean, it's, it's the, 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 the they, they want to be the party is. of the party of Lincoln that's constantly defending the Confederacy, be it their flags or naming bases after their white supremacist traitor generals. It's just, right. I mean, it's incredible. Right, and in the Northeast, of course, Republicans are not. You know, Republicans from the most radical parts of the country, I don't see them waving Dixie flags, but trying to do this where moderates, we can be in the same party as Trump and not condemn them. That's just not acceptable. I mean, if you pretend to be neutral in the face of a true threat to democracy, you're enabling it. And so I, I want to keep calling that out as much as I can to peer with Republicans, including Republican moderates who appear to be reasonable and and, you know, I tried to reach out to her and to say, you know, this is wrong. If you really care about these ideals, if you care about immigration, for instance, which she was talking about, you can't back somebody who's only using the issue to inflame hatred, as, as he did yeah. today with this new Muslim ban or the, the rhetoric over the wall, that this is really an issue that requires serious policy response, not name-calling and, and political point-scoring. And... You know, I don't know that she heard this or she's going to change any of her views, but I just don't want to allow so-called moderate Republicans to pretend that they can be in the party of Eisenhower, much less the party of Lincoln uh, or the party of Reagan. Or like how you put it's it, it's none party of those parties of anymore. It, it, it sounds like she's like many moderate Republicans, where she <laughs> wants to give the the presentation that she's standing up for the rule of law and decency, but she right. wants to leave the window open just enough that if Trump gets the nomination, she won't have mean tweets and have get doxxed by MAGA. It just sounds like right. you know they're having a. I mean, Chris Christie may have, be a hypocrite who waited till way after it was too late, but at mm. least he's equivocal about it. But what makes me yeah, even angry? The only is, the only position for Republican to have right now is to condemn this threat to democracy, the walking orange man, uh, you know, which the walking threat to, to democracy that he is. And, you know, I think she's also trying to court votes. She wants a wider Rhode Island presence in the, in the Senate and in the state Senate and the House of Representatives. And so not explicitly condemning him while, you know, giving yep. signals that she's not with him. That seems to be the talking point that she's received, you know, from having it both ways, consulting with them. And I think let's not get let, let them get away with that. I mean, let's just call it out. And when they refuse to condemn, when they speak in these sort of, you know, subtle, implicit <laughs> endorsements or neutrality to try to keep those voters, we've just got to say to them, I see what you're doing. I'm sure yeah. your consultants told you that's going to preserve votes and that's not going to work. Either condemn them or don't. But don't pretend that this is just like every other election. Absolutely right it's not. And I'll say one other thing. is this elect I tried to emphasize this, too. This election isn't uh, an election for state Senate. It's the election of the president of the United States, the most powerful person probably in the world. 
And so the threat that he carries with him is exponentially more than he would in any other office in the United States. And and mm-hmm. he, we've seen the damage that he almost did. And we can imagine what he'd do in, a, in, a, in the next Trump term. Corey, it is so good to have you back. And I look forward to going through a very complicated Supreme Court season with you. What's the best way for our listeners and assorted riffraff to follow you, Professor, and keep up with all your doings? Uh, you can read my work on uh, CoreyBrettSchneider.com, and I'll start talking about my new book, The Presidents and the People, which is on Amazon for pre-order. Thank you so much, Professor. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with your calls and join you in the next hour by Rhonda Hansom. This is Progress. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We are back, and we are at 866-997-4748. We're going to get to all your calls this evening. Let's start with Sarah, who is on the line from Brooklyn. Sarah, thank you for waiting on hold. You're on SiriusXM. Good evening. Good evening. Can you hear me? I sure can. Thank you. Thank uh, thank you for taking my call. So uh, where do I begin? I have a lot of emotions about what's going on and what's being talked about and what's not being talked about. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like Palestinian lives do not matter to the mainstream media. I agree. Everything I've been hearing, it's about Israel. And it's like this conflict started yesterday or Saturday and nothing led up to it. There was no provocation. And Hamas, yes, it's a terrorist organization. Absolutely. And yes, I do not agree with their tactics and methods. Absolutely. But, but, I, I, but I boy, there's not a lot of context. Not a lot of context in the liberal media, no, is there? None. Zero. And it makes me so sick. I have been really sick. And I'm becoming a person that honestly is saying, like, all is fair in love and war, or it's, it's war. So yeah. everything goes and everything is justified. And I don't want to be that person. No, and, and you're not that, that person, because it's, it's not true. I mean, yeah, all is fair in war, and everyone does everything in war, and war is an atrocity. War is an insult to the gods all these sides claim to believe in. And, and if there is a god... If he wants someone dead, he'll smite them himself. But these people don't believe yeah. in anything their own religions teach them. But again, it's, you know, it's complicated. And our media, it's not in their interest to explore all sides of it. But it is a true fact that Hamas are terrorists and that this attack was the most godless atrocity, that it is going to hurt the Palestinian people for a generation yes. to come. And and yes. that this attack that and and that if they decide to have this incursion and slaughter every male old enough to hold a gun in 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 Gaza, it's going to make Israel less safe for generations to come. Yeah. And my point is, I think that that's what the leadership of both sides wants. Netanyahu wants I to agree. stay in power. Hamas wants to stay in power. They help each other with this violence. I completely agree, and I'm the only one. No one has said this. I think you you alluded to it, and some a, a few other people, but. I'm thinking, oh, they're like, oh, the intelligence failure. They didn't see this coming. But I'm thinking they did. And Netanyahu was like, you know what? I'm going to lay back. I'm going to let this happen. And, you know, it's going to boost my ratings and it's going to boost my favorability. And I'm just going to see where it goes. And I want to annihilate the Palestinians to begin with. And I'm a racist and I'm a fascist. Yep. And hey, 9-11 got Bush reelected. You know, 9-11 got Bush. Yes. Re- 9-11 got Bush the Iraq war. There were no WMDs. We knew he had lied and he still got reelected. And everyone yes. who was wrong, everyone who let that attack happen, got promoted. The only person who got yes. fired for 9-11 was Bill Maher. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we're seeing it here now. The, the Netanyahu's legal problems are going to go away. Sorry. Go ahead, love. Uh, exactly. No, no, no. I, exactly. And I'm just like, the bad guys are winning. And the people who are suffering are the number one, the Palestinian people. Yes. And my heart. And the Israeli people. The, and the Israeli people. Israelis. No, yeah, I'm getting to that. The innocent Please. Israelis that were killed and um, taken hostage. I do feel for them. But your government is corrupt. Your government is genocidal. And it's just I, I, what I'm disappointed by is I, I'm, a, I'm a Democrat. Really, I'm a progressive, but I'm a mm-hmm. Democrat. I voted for um, Joe Biden and I am extremely sickened and disappointed by his response. It's like the Palestinian people do not exist. They don't matter. Their lives don't matter. They weren't even mentioned. They were not mentioned. They were not mentioned. No, they were not mentioned. And Barack Obama put out a statement, and the Palestinians were a footnote. They were a footnote. That's right. At the bottom, and that's politics. And that is politics. And you know what? The the tragic truth of it is, the way America is, Biden can't if he wants to be reelected. If Biden expresses any kind of empathy for the humanity of Palestinian suffering, it helps Donald Trump. That's where we're at. Thank you so much for the call, Sarah. I really appreciate you. It's a pleasure. We'll get to all your calls when we return after this break. This is Progress. It has now been about two days since Hamas launched a surprise coordinated attack on Israel. Among the attacks was, of course, a music festival which took the lives of over 200 young people. Over a thousand are now dead on both sides, thousands injured on both sides. Over 100 hostages, both civilians and military officers, have been taken by Hamas. Israel has announced a full blockade on Gaza, including food, water, electricity, and fuel. We are very pleased to welcome Michael Oren, uh, Israel's former ambassador to the U.S. Ambassador, thank you so much for making the time and joining us. Good to be with you, John. Thank you. Thank you. May I begin by asking, how is your family doing, sir? What is their situation like right now? Well, you see me here. It looks like an office, but it's actually a bomb shelter. And my family's in bomb shelters, my children, my grandchildren in bomb shelters. Um, Just across the street, uh, uh, one of the missiles fell fell yesterday, destroyed a building. um, And we're waiting for the next uh, barrage. We all know people who have been killed, uh, captured missing, taken hostage. We all know people. It's a small country. Um, Give you an idea of the scale, okay? Um, If putting this in American terms, per capita American terms, um, this is roughly 11 times the losses of America on 9-11. This would be the equivalent of about 35,000 Americans being killed in 48 hours. It would be the equivalent of about 5,000 American hostages being taken. Uh, So you're going to know somebody. And uh, and we all do know them. And the mood here is very grim, uh, very dark, but also exceedingly determined uh, to return our security, restore our deterrence, to rescue our hostages and to ensure that Hamas or any other Iranian proxy uh, will never do this again. Uh, Sir, what was your experience when the attack began? When did you first become aware of what was happening? Strange enough, I was in the United States and I was giving uh, some talks about the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War of 1973, right. which be also began with a surprise attack that took Israel unawares um, and um, and then rushed to get onto the uh, first plane back to Israel uh, that night, uh, which was uh, sort of a surreal experience. Many, 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 if not most airlines have now canceled their flights uh, and the, uh, the terrorists are targeting the airport and attempt to close the airport. It's very difficult to get in and out of Israel right now. So I was fortunate in getting onto that flight. Uh, that flight was filled with reservists, uh, young Israeli men, um, fighting to get on an airplane to go back and join their units. It was, it was very inspiring. Sir, Israel's prime minister has declared a mighty vengeance. Um, we should take that to mean a ground incursion, correct? What will that look like and, and how does that manifest? Well, without divulging any military secrets, I I would uh, give a high probability uh, to an Israeli ground incursion. I think the Israeli population is unwilling, and I say categorically unwilling, uh, to return to the status quo ante. Uh, This is now the fifth round of fighting with with Hamas since 2008. Uh, Each one of those previous rounds have ended basically with a return to that status quo ante. They, They fire thousands of rockets at us. There's a ceasefire negotiated. Uh, the Qataris come and dump a lot of cash 
uh, into into the hands of Hamas, uh, Israelis are completely unwilling to return to that situation now, which means a ground incursion and to change fundamentally uh, the situation uh, in Gaza. Uh, what will look like uh, a very very Israeli a very large Israeli force uh, backed by combined arms, which means artillery, sea, and air. Uh, advancing as cautiously as possible because uh, Hamas has completely booby-trapped uh, the entire uh, Gaza Strip. Uh, Milan mines uh, with wires. Um, it's going to be an extremely hazardous environment for our soldiers. And, of course, also soldiers that will have to operate within a densely populated civilian uh, area. Um, it's often said that Gaza is the most densely populated area in the world. That's not true. I mean, where I'm sitting now, Tel Aviv is more twice, more than twice de- densely populated than Gaza. But it's it is uh, a, a warren of alleys, uh, very cl- closely clustered together. And um, Israel does not want to inflict uh, civilian casualties. But we're dealing with a with an enemy who not only uses their own people uh, as human shields, but now they're using our people as human shields, the hostages. So um, diplomatically, militarily. Logistically, legally, every way you can think of, this will be a very complex operation. What do we know, sir, historically about Hamas and hostage taking? How does Israel hope to get these captives returned safely? Well, in the past, we've negotiated to release uh, one soldier who was uh, captured about 12 years ago, Gilad Shalit, and we released a thousand uh, Hamas prisoners from our prisons in order to get him released. Uh, many of those prisoners went back to being active terrorists. Israel is not going to repeat that mistake. Uh, we have to learn from that mistake. And uh, we cannot negotiate with these terrorists. I think that is a, a big mistake. So it's going, we have special units that are trained in hostage, hostage rescue. We will use them to the best of our ability. Um, we don't know the status uh, of these hostages. We only see terrifying photographs, terrifying, haunting photographs of young Israelis, uh, even children, being beaten, spit upon, abused, perhaps even sexually abused, uh, paraded through the streets of Gaza. Um, We don't know where they are, what their situation is, or whether they're alive. Um, Extremely painful. Sir, of course, this is not like uh, past Israel and Hamas eruptions. This is so many uh, times bigger than what we've seen before. And I don't even know how to guess what normal looks like after this. What would a peaceful resolution where neither side wants to attack the other conceivably look like? Well, it's not going to happen because Hamas is a jihadist organization which is dedicated in its very being. It's this raison d'etre to destroying the state of Israel. There's no peace with Hamas. There's no solution for Hamas. There's a solution, but it involves Israel's dissolution. And it's not going to be just Hamas. Um, the chances of a multi-front war breaking out are very real. Even tonight as we're speaking, there are reports about uh, fighting on our northern border with Hezbollah. And Hezbollah, uh, another Iranian-backed uh, terrorist organization, is many times larger uh, than Hamas, with about 150,000 rockets in its arsenal, all aimed at our at our communities, our schools, our our homes. Um, and most of these rockets are buried uh, under Lebanese houses in about 200 villages. Uh, and there are people in those houses. And Hezbollah wants people to be in those houses. So Israel will have to go house to house and many of those people would be killed. Uh, and not only would our soldiers be lost, but we would be branded war criminals by the world. And uh, you know, Hamas and, and Hezbollah, uh, they not only have a military tactic, they have a military tactic that serves I would say a media and diplomatic and and legal strategy, which is designed to get the world to deny us the right to defend ourselves and ultimately deny us the right to exist. So how does Israel manage to destroy Hamas without mass slaughter of civilians, which I guess would work directly into Hamas's plans of further uh, smearing and turning uh, turning people against Israel? Uh, you're touching the, the, on the most crucial point, certainly from my perspective, as someone who's been involved in public diplomacy for many years. Um, and there's a trade-off between ensuring uh, the security and safety of this country, returning our hostages, and, and looking good to the world. And, uh, and I have to report, quite unfortunately, that many Israelis are saying to themselves, and not just to themselves, that if the world's going to condemn us anyway, uh, when we're taking immense chances and dangers and risks to ourselves, to uh, advert uh, uh, inflicting civilian casualties, why bother? Why don't we just go in and do what we have to do and get out, 
get rid of Hamas, irrespective of the price, diplomatic price. Um, I'd hate to see us reach that point, John. I would. Uh, but I fear. I fear that the, the level of, of anger, of pain, of frustration on our side is getting us to that point. You know, I'm among those who had great hopes at one point for the Abbas regime many years ago. You've said in the past, sir, the two-state solution is the preferred solution. And if we can reach a negotiated agreement with the Palestinians that is permanent, legitimate, and assures Israel's security, that is, of course, the preferable choice. Is the hope at this point that <laughs> Hamas will be replaced by another leading factor that can come to a negotiating table? No, I don't think so. But the, the, the continuation of that quote says it, it'd be the preferred solution, but it's not a, it's not a, a reachable, it's not a attainable solution. Right. Um, I have the, the, I'll, I'll, please go ahead. Sorry. Uh, please. Mahmoud Abbas is, is in the 18th year of his four year term. Uh, he doesn't stand for re-election because he knows that Hamas uh, will win overwhelmingly in any open exactly. election in Judea and Samaria at the West Bank, which means that uh, were there a Palestinian state, it would also be a Hamas state. And we would be facing a two-front front, front war, uh, and on our eastern front, uh, that is the front you know, facing Jerusalem, um, it would be our longest border, and we would be under vicious attack in our major population centers, not just in, you know, along the Gaza border. And uh, so it would be existential, and Israelis understand that. Even Israelis who are, are very peace-minded and would love to see a solution to the conflict understand that right now, uh, for the foreseeable future, there is... There's no one to negotiate with, certainly no one who knows you to negotiate with who could ensure our security in even the most minimal way. Uh, I'm not revealing any secret by telling you the reason Mahmoud Abbas is alive is because we keep him alive. Uh, and he and his government, uh, Israel pulls out of there, he'll be dead in, in a matter of days. So that that is not right now an option. I think there are other ways of moving forward, not a two-state solution. There are federal uh, models, there are cantonment models, but... This is all relevant to what's going on here. Hamas is not interested in peace. Hamas will kill Palestinians who talk to peace. Uh, I was, you know, I've been around a long time. I was an advisor to, to Yitzhak Rabin back in 1993 at the signing of the Oslo Accords. Uh, we were moving toward a two-state solution, and Hamas came out and, and bombed, bombed Israeli restaurants, uh, bombed um, gatherings on the sidewalk. A close family member of mine was killed. So any peace attempt actually brings out the terrorists because they're opposed to peace. And one of the primary reasons this round has occurred is because of the United States effort to mediate a peace agreement between Israel and Saudi Arabia. The last thing these terrorists want is peace between Israel and any Arab country. And of course, Mr. Rabin was tragically murdered by an Israeli. The, the violence just exploded on all sides. As you know, sir, here in America, this horrible conflict has already deepened our divisions. Folks on the right are trying to blame the Biden White House for this. Folks on the left are blaming Donald Trump for sharing Israeli secrets with Russia. What counsel, sir, would you give your American allies about how they can support a peaceful resolution and maybe even come together to do it? A peaceful revolution, again, I, I'd be I'd cautious in using that. The, the, there is a resolution. I don't know how peaceful it's going to be. Uh, we're in the midst of a war. Um, you know, the, the equivalent is talking about a peaceful, a peaceful solution to World War II, circa 1941, 1942. That's where we are right now. Uh, what I would urge our, our American friends would be uh, stop squabbling, stop debating, and focus on the target. The target is Israel security, and the target is countering Iran. Because Iran stands behind this. I, I, we, I am more than convinced that Iran was uh, tactically, logistically uh, involved in encouraging and enabling uh, this attack by Hamas. Um, the Islamic Jihad, another terrorist organization in Gaza, is wholly owned and, and operated by Iran. Hamas is largely funded and directed by Iran. And Iran stood a lot to gain by this. Iran doesn't want that peace treaty between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Iran is afraid uh, of uh, Saudi Arabia achieving nuclear power as a result of that treaty. Uh, Iran, and I might say this uh, without getting involved in politics, Iran uh, is afraid of Donald Trump. Donald Trump was the person pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, he was the one who assassinated uh, the head of the Al-Quds force, um, uh, Qasem Soleimani. Uh, they're afraid of him. They're afraid. They're looking at the polls and saying, hey, this president may come back. We should operate now to ensure that the Saudi Arabian the Saudi-Israeli peace never happens. All we have to do is start a little war. It'll destabilize the whole Middle East. And it is. It's destabilizing. And uh, as I'm speaking to you now, fighting is already breaking out in the north between Israeli forces uh, and terrorists from Hezbollah. Um, right now, we need America to stand uh, foursquare with us 
to provide us with the military wherewithal we need to defend ourselves. And America has that wherewithal. There's even uh, billions of dollars worth of American military equipment prepositioned uh, under Israel in warehouses. And we can get access to that, to those munitions. Um, and then to stand with us diplomatically as well, what I call the diplomatic Iron Dome, if anyone tries to condemn us for war crimes. Um, and to certainly check uh, Iranian power. Um, the Biden administration has come out truly um, unequivocally on the, on the side of Israel. I thought it was a great, uh, great declaration by the president. Um, the U.S. Navy has moved a, a, a task force uh, close to the shores of Lebanon. Um, and I would hope that the United States would follow up that move by moving another naval force uh, in the Persian Gulf, fifthly, uh, close to the shores of Iran to indicate to Iran that the United States is saying, you can't do this and get away with it. That would be a very important message from me with all humility uh, to the people of the United States. And Ambassador, one final question. Where do you see Vladimir Putin's role in all of this? Well, I think that there's been a theory out there that Putin has triggered uh, disruptions around the world in order to detract uh, attention uh, from you know, his battle in Ukraine, his aggression against Ukraine. And people are forward to looking at the, the battles between Azerbaijan and Armenia, uh, internecine violence in Serbia, that area. Uh, and now this outbreak. And I can tell you as an historian, I, you know, I've written extensively about uh, Israeli's wars. That was certainly in the case of the spring of 1967, uh, when the Soviets sought to detract attention uh, from the American bombing of North Vietnam by triggering a, triggering a small crisis in the Middle East. Uh, unfortunately for the Soviets, that crisis got out of hand and they, they suffered a severe blow. So there, there, are, there is precedent here. Uh, there's no hardcore evidence. What I can say is that... Uh, the America's support for Ukraine in the war um, has absorbed a tremendous amount of American ordinance, including ordinance that was taken out of that preposition uh, American munitions here in Israel. And that uh, certainly uh, will impact our ability long term, uh, perhaps, to, um, to defend ourselves effectively. Michael Lord is Israel's former ambassador to the U.S. Sir, thank you so much for joining us and um, my best to you and your family and to hopefully a, a swift uh, resolution to this destruction. I'm just so it, it's breaking so many hearts around the world. I wish you continued safety. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be well. Be safe. Bye. Thank Bye. you. 